notice how narcissistic personalities seem to shift, how they morph into someone new after leaving their relationship with us? In this episode, Tara and I are going to talk about the chameleon-like behavior of narcissistic people, and the self-help tip is a helpful exercise in identifying people whose personality is way too fluid and how to spot that better. Thank you for joining us on Breaking Free from Narcissistic Abuse, where we talk about strategies, tips, and tricks on navigating and recovering from narcissistic abuse. I'm your host, Dr. Carrie McAvoy, a mental health clinician with over 20 years experience and author of Love You More, a graphic inside look at my experience of a toxic relationship. And I'm your other co-host, Tara Blair Ball, a certified relationship coach and B survivor and author of Reclaim and Recover, Heal from Toxic Relationships with a Seven-Step Guided Journal. I was contacted this week by a woman who wondered if she was a narcissist, and she said her partner had already moved on to a new relationship. They just broke up two weeks ago. He's already in a new relationship. He seems completely happy. They're already Mm. posting really great photos online, of course. And she asked me, am I the narcissist? I know you and I hear this all the time. This is a common problem. But what angle I want to take today is why this is happening, why the narcissist seems to become a different person after they leave the relationship with us. I know I saw that. I, In fact, I, I was contacted in the middle of the relationship by the person my partner had been cheating on. And all the things he told me that he was like anti, like like vehemently against, like he's not an animal person. He despises pets, made it really clear we would not have a pet. But this woman had five dogs of which some of them slept in the bed with her. He hated country music. I mean, like loathed it. And she was big time into it. If she had an opportunity to see a concert, he would have gone with her and pretended that he liked it. Mm. Have you seen this, Tara? This kind of like changeability, this incredible chameleon-like characteristic? I think that's a lot of how we we feel like we get loved bombed, for one, but also how we feel like we found our special soulmate because they seem to have all these common interests with us. And then yeah. we sort of start to realize that those aren't really their interests. That's not really the person who they say that they are. So, yeah, we see it all the time. I've seen it in people I dated. Yeah. <laughs> Sadly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Me too. And you know what? I I think all of us by human nature do it a little bit because I know that I feel a little called out when I get to meet somebody and they're really into, say, rugby. Mm. And suddenly I'll try to watch rugby to sort of figure out what yeah. it is that they're like. But we're talking, this is a whole nother level, like, like you know, master, master level of chameleon. Because I'll tell you, once I started to get to know the person I was had really got into a relationship with, it didn't match who I had mm-hmm. met. N- nothing about the two of them really were the same person. Yeah. I was thinking too, and I, I was telling you this story yeah. before we started taping, so I'll just reshare, but I was dating someone and similarly in the beginning, I thought we had so much in common. This was my person, you know, and because I'd come out of a relationship where we really didn't have any shared interests or hobbies or anything like that, like having that with another person seemed really special. But then we were out to dinner with some friends and a friend of ours started talking about how they were doing yoga every night to help their back because they were traveling a lot. So staying in hotels and their back was hurting and that yoga was really helping their back. And my partner had the audacity to say that they did yoga every night to help their back, too. And I remember like turning to him being like, Mm. 
just sort of blinking. Like I didn't say anything out loud in front of anybody. I didn't say anything. It was just something that I just sort of stored away of like, wow, this person is an utter liar. Mm. He's never spoken to me about yoga. I have spent every single night with him for the past couple of weeks. I know for a fact he does not do yoga every single night before bed. But it was behavior that I saw that really made me look back and reflect on the rest of the relationship of just how how is that done to me? Because if I'm watching him do it to someone where there's nothing even at yeah. stake, it's just a friend, it's not anything. What was he doing with me? Yeah. Oh, that's profound. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So let's dive into why they're doing it, because I know that it drives people nuts and it, it it's crazy making. And I'm not saying it's a form of gaslighting, but it certainly makes us question our own reality, question what we saw, why we got into it, whether or not we'd really miss some big flags. I know for me, it really made me have a lot of profound self-doubt. It was a profoundly shocking to me to realize that that I essentially didn't know this person at all once, it, once I saw more who they really actually were. So one of the things I've come to realize about narcissists is that their development of their sense of self is really, really immature, and they don't have much of a self. So if you were to ask them to sort of define their characteristics, I think they'd have a hard time. I think that they tend to pick up the characteristics of the rose around them. I think they make the perfect chameleon, that their sense of self is so fluid, so so open, so flexible, that they sort of adopt the characteristics of their environment. I remember, for example, that my ex actually had his identity stolen. That was for real. It really happened. There was a police report. And his social security number was being used by another person. And we actually found, I found who was using his social security number online. I found them wow. on Facebook. And this person had gone on and made something up their life. They'd gone on and got a master's degree in business. My ex saw that and said that he wanted to contact the school and ask for the <laughs> diploma and the credentials so that he, they could say he had an MBA. I mean, he barely passed college. And now he's going to go around and pretend he has an MBA. And this was his justification. Well, it's my name and my social security number. Mm -hmm. Why not? And I thought, but you can't pull off an MBA. You don't even know the language. You don't know anything about marketing. How in the world do you think you're going to imitate somebody who has an M MBA? And you know what? He had gotten so used to being fluid in his identity, he thought mm -hmm. it was possible. He actually believed that he could be around other MBAs and somehow get them to believe that he was one too. So I think that that's what we don't understand is that there are some people whose sense of self is so underdeveloped that they're adopting those around them. And then there's this other piece that that plays a huge piece into this, and that is their need for attention is so extremely high. And not that we don't all need it. We all want admiration and acceptance, but theirs is so high that they're willing to sacrifice integrity, that sense of what little self that they have in order to get everybody around them in that moment to like mm -hmm. them. So just like your partner saying he's into right. yoga every night when, you know, like that's ridiculous. And, and you know what? Probably the people at the table wouldn't have cared less. Exactly. They probably really, really seriously weren't invested in him doing that. Right. But his need for them to sort of feel like they had this shared thing is so great that they do they like sacrifice this over and over and over. I think it's interesting, too. You mentioned the undeveloped or the immature sense of self adopting those around them. A lot of times you hear talk of, of narcissists, the other side of the coin being codependence, but that's a similar definition for codependency, but it comes from a different intention. Mm -hmm. 
a lot of codependents struggle with being chameleons, not knowing who their sense of self is, adopting whoever that they're dating. It doesn't come from a place of power and control over the other. It is from this place of, I want to belong. I want you to like me. I want to smooth over conflicts. I want to do those things. So the intention is different, but it presents similarly. And I've read in studies that a lot of narcissists are also codependent. And that honestly, with that definition in general, it just makes sense. But I think it's important to just highlight that difference in intention. Wanting to be liked because you feel unlovable and unworthy is much different than I want you to like me so I get your attention and I can manipulate you. It's totally different. Yeah, I would even say a codependent, and I would love to know because I don't study this as deeply as you have, but codependency to me or people-pleasing to me feels about safety. Absolutely. It's really when something about the relationship feels not quite okay, and so you show up in the way you see the other person needs you to, where this is more predatory. Exactly. This is more for exploitation of, yeah, like, I'm hungry. I need attention. I don't really care that like I'm thinking back to my partner who hates animals and then is in a, par- a relationship, at least a dating relationship with somebody with lots of animals. He's willing to sacrifice his own standards around that in order to get something from this person. And knowing that it's not going to be long term, knowing that he could not tolerate the situation for very long, but because he has a mission or an intention, like just like you said, he's willing to do that in order to get that from this individual. That's, yeah, that feels really different. Mm-hmm. But but I know, and here's the thing you and I probably see all the time, is people say, boy, these behaviors sound alike, then they must be the same. No, mm-hmm. there's a lot of behaviors that are similar to each other, but they are for entirely different reasons. And it's that is the underlying thing that that differentiates them, differentiates predatory behavior from safety behavior, protective behavior. I think the other thing that's kind of interesting about all of this is that why does the love bombing happen as long as it does? And what makes the change? I think that's the other thing that throws people off is that they see their partner get into another relationship and then they think, oh, they seem okay and they seem happy and they've moved on, but what we were doing so poorly, so maybe it it was me. Maybe I'm the problem for the relationship. And I know that my experience of with my partner was also temporary. I'm assuming yours was too, that mm-hmm. there was a period of where it was really great and then right. all of a sudden it started falling apart. Right. So let's talk about what happens. Why does this start to fall apart? Right. What we had talked about originally for the name of this was when the relationship gets cemented. And I mean, that can look like a lot of different things. It could be that it's now exclusive or there's been some isolation pattern that the victim may not have been totally aware of, that they're like, oh, my my friendships have sort of faded away. I don't have as much support. Having children, getting married, getting a home together, that that is what I see primarily. And what I saw in that relationship as well is when it seemed like I was stuck is when that sort of facade kind of changed. Suddenly things that seemed a part of his identity, he now didn't attribute to himself at all and would gaslight me. He was like, I never said that. I never did that. I never enjoyed that. And I'm like... Yeah. So I was making that all up, that you said that you would do this, that you yep. loved doing it. And that fed into any kind of self-doubt I would have had. I'd be like, oh, maybe I did make that up or I was thinking of it. And as someone who had done a lot of work in relationships, you and I have never talked about love addiction. But one aspect of love addiction is fantasizing or making up or assuming different things about other people, making them into a magical partner 
based on no reality. And that was where my self-doubt fueled. It was like, maybe I was just really just making it up. Maybe I was just fantasizing or assuming. But no, that motherfucker literally mm. said he loved these things. And now he he never did. I agree. If you think about a chameleon, the energy that it must take. Whew. If you're normally a brown animal and you're in with the grass and you've turned green, how long can your body chemically hold up green when it's not in your natural state? I definitely saw that in my relationship, that there was a there, an adoption of my habits, my preferences, the way that I kind of did life, the way even maybe I ate my schedule. But But I saw that once the dependency grew, and and that's what they do. They sort of like, in fact, I just did a toxic love taping on ambient abuse and coercive control. And what I really noticed was that there's an incremental stepping of of um, kind of wearing down a person's identity. And it mm. coincides with the fading of the love bombing. So as they begin to criticize you, and then they start to introduce gaslighting to make you question whether or not you did or said or you want too much. At the same time, that's when the relationship is cementing. Usually it's like, You've bought a house together. Maybe you moved. For me, it was getting engaged and or getting married, or maybe you're pregnant. But usually there's some kind of big thing that they know now that for you to leave is very, very difficult. That it would be not only emotionally difficult, but probably legally difficult. So they wait till something happens like that. But just like a chameleon who's been trying to look green, they then start to have glimpses of their more natural self, their more, more authentic self. And that that bleed through is highly traumatic to the person who's in the relationship who sees it because we essentially experience a stranger. I mean, yeah. we don't recognize that other person. And usually there's this massive discovery that there's been a double life of some kind or at least a double like another personality that maybe we're unfamiliar with. For me, it was this massive discovery, this massive betrayal. But the interesting thing is is that by then they've got you so convinced and so needy, at least for me, I felt so needy that I was willing to own the problem was me, that I must somehow caused the difficulty, not that they are revealing who they really are, that somehow maybe I'm wanting too much or I'm asking too much or maybe my expectations were unrealistic for the relationship. But because I turned more and more of myself, more of my decisions, more of my life over to this person's opinion and influence, it's insidious. It's really insidious. But what we're seeing when we see them do it again with the next relationship, we're seeing the same thing. We're right. seeing the same thing that happened to us. But now we're seeing it from a perspective of the outsider. And we're invested because we're also the one that we're with this person. So again, I think the other thing we nobody said out loud, I just had this aha, is it's another betrayal. Now they've gone from green and now they're appearing yellow, mm-hmm. you know, because they're in a yellow background. You feel like, oh, my goodness like massive cognitive dissonance experience of what's wrong? How could they now turn yellow when I thought they were green and I never knew that all along that they're brown? I think that's the other problem is that we don't recognize that is, again, another massive discovery and a massive betrayal. And it's another kind of like moment of cognitive dissonance where we have to sort of make process. This person isn't anything that we know at all. And I think part of that process needs to be in recognizing what is actually happening. Because we can tend to assume, oh, mm-hmm. it's because he or she is with a better partner or they truly love them. They never loved me. There's something wrong with me. In reality, we're just seeing the abuse pattern played out as an observer. I mean, that's really what it is. We're seeing the love yeah. bombing. Yeah. We're seeing the chameleon aspect. 
And sadly, we also may end up seeing the downfall of the next victim. What happens to them when it starts to prey on them? I have suggested to clients and things like that. I don't know whether our audience all believes in prayer. I was like, just pray for that poor person. <laughs> like how how sad for them to experience the same yeah. sort of trauma and betrayal and deception that you did. And it's not your job to go jump in and like inform them because they're not going to believe you anyway. You're going to come across as the crazy ex and reinforce whatever that the narcissist has told them about you. Just just hope that they get the help that they need, because if they are with that person, they will absolutely need some help. I've seen so many people enraged at the new supply. I mean, oh, yeah. they target their anger and their hatred and their revenge towards this new person. When what they are seeing is a reflection of themselves, that person is no more brighter about what's happening than they are. And yes, I know it's irritating that some women and some men, I know I, I see more women doing it than men, I'm not saying men don't do it. But yes, there are women who know that they're dancing on the grave of the last relationship and sort of like, oh, yeah, I'm so extra special right. because he picked me. The reality is, no, honey, you're not any extra special. You're just deluded, but you're about to have that bubble burst in a most horrific, awful way. And I... Personally, I feel sorry yeah. for those people, just like I feel sorry for the me that thought that I got this catch. I didn't. And this new person didn't get a new catch, no matter what it looks like on, on the outside. It's yeah. sad. To me, it's a horrific kind of shocking nightmare. Somebody said to me, and this was really helpful. They said to me right after I was trying to, trying to process all this, it said, just be relieved. He's now mm -hmm. someone else's nightmare. And I'm like, okay, yeah, it was a nightmare. And you're right. He's now not my nightmare. He's now her nightmare. But he is her nightmare. And I don't mm -hmm. wish a nightmare on Absolutely. anyone. I think it's helpful, too, to just sort of put this in context of a healthy relationship, because most healthy relationships have a honeymoon phase. And I think sometimes we can see and think these are similar. Love bombing is like a honeymoon on steroids. I don't know how else to describe it. And for me, what I've seen a lot is love bombing can can last about the length of a normal honeymoon phase. Normal honeymoon phase is like three to six months. The next phase is usually doubt and disillusionment. Your partner farts in front of you or you start to get a sense that they chew with their mouth. Like everything seems to sort of irritate you about this person. That love, dopey love stuff has sort of worn down. In these relationships that we're talking about, it's not this natural progression because it is honeymoon on steroids followed by that ripping off the mask this person it's not that you you didn't recognize this before and now you are like they chew with their mouth open they probably always did it's more like this person never did this before and now suddenly they're doing it and it is that sort of those subtle insidious jabs yeah. or criticisms that the blaming yeah. the blaming on you that kind of thing it's a very different and that's that's how it sort of sets up that trauma bond. That's a good point that you're making because, yes, I've experienced a normal relationship unfolding. And you're right. There is a part where you look at him and think, oh, my goodness, he doesn't <laughs> even know how to use a spoon, right? Or he's look mm -hmm. how he cuts his cuts his meat. But it isn't right. that the person's changed. It's just suddenly you don't see them in the same okay. rosy way that you had right. before. They had always been doing that. But what's different about this is that you see through the deception. You get a glimpse through the deception. A great example is I had asked mine on the first date, are you into pornography? That for me was a no-go. It's a big deal. He said no. And then, yeah, on our honeymoon night, he's watching pornography in a way that I know this is a highly experienced person who's very mm -hmm. comfortable with this medium. This is not somebody who's blushing and embarrassed and doing it for the first time. This is somebody who's stopping 
enlarging images back and forth. I mean, the, the way he moved around on this clip told me he spent mm -hmm. hours doing this. This is a massive discovery. He told me he didn't. I discovered right. that he's an expert at it. That's the difference. Whereas, oh, he chews with his mouth open. He always has, but I right. thought it was cute when I first right. met him. Now it's not so cute. Yeah, it's really, really different, these types of disclosure. I think what I'd like to kind of wrap us up with, and this is, and I don't have a good answer, Tara, but I'd like to know what you think about it. H having experienced this, it makes me edgy about recognizing when I've actually really met a real person versus when I've met somebody who's just trying to get me to like them. It, it has caused me to sort of question my, my radar for truthfulness. So I know that you've counseled people through this. So what would you say to me? about helping me to become more comfortable and confident in my ability to pick somebody. I think it comes back a lot to what we talked about on a previous episode with earning trust. I always talk about it as observing, like observing and not jumping to assumptions, mm. because I think a lot of us tend to give, especially those of us who are really soft hearted and have been preyed on before, we tend to jump to the most positive conclusion. Oh, they didn't mean that. You know, they just had a rough day. They must have forgotten. We kind of jump to that conclusion, which gives that person a free pass that they may or may not deserve. So usually when I'm talking with people who are sort of moving into a space of trying to meet new people and things like that, I talk to them a lot about just the process of observing without putting any moral judgment on it, with really trying to stick to actual facts and looking at it in that way and seeing if that helps them sort of see more of what's going on versus when they sort of bring in that more positive self to sort of inform or narrate what's actually happening. So, for example, if someone sets a boundary, I'll use that. Someone sets a boundary and someone violates the boundary. Let's say it's in a really innocuous way. You know, they just they they may have forgotten it, that kind of thing. But being able to just put it in perspective, they violated the boundary. Not any moral judgment, not anything like that, but just the reality of what happened. And then being able yeah. to step back and observe and see, does that happen again? And the next time it happens, is it better or worse than the first time? How do they respond or react to you calling it out? Or did you not call it out? And it, that's something to observe in yourself as well of what happened for you that you felt like you shouldn't bring it up. I think it's very helpful to sort of step back because it's so difficult when we're in the middle of any situation to assess what's really going on. Our emotions are going to really give us a narrow field of vision. And I think it's about yeah. learning that process of being very self-reflective. What would I tell my friend if they were in the same situation when I presented them these facts? How would they react? And learning that skill, which is a skill. It was very difficult for me because I always want to jump in and give people the benefit of the doubt. I do. But I did. Oh, I know. I do, too. Exactly. But I did it for people who didn't deserve it. And I said this in a video not too long ago that I would often use the phrase hurt people hurt people, which mm. is a sign to have compassion and grace for ourselves and others. But as you and I know, just like doing this podcast and seeing sort of the awful of the awful, I also believe the believe the phrase that I made it up or I, maybe I heard it from somewhere. I, I'm going to take credit for it right now, but it's shitty people shit on people. Mm -hmm. And like, and they don't mm -hmm. deserve necessarily that compassion or grace because they're not choosing to do anything about that. Right. They're not getting right. help, getting better, making amends. They're just going and just like shitting on the world. 
So I don't want to be one of those people. Nor nor do I want to be in a relationship with one of those people. I love that. That's really helpful. Thank you for wrapping that up that way. Today's self-help tip is the power of using observation to identify a person's primary characteristics. What we've been talking about has been the fact that some people are very chameleon-like. They don't have a very solid, cemented identity. And as a result, they sort of take on the characteristics of the people around them. And it can be tricky to identify when that's happening, when you're seeing it live, because they're adopting your preferences and habits. So you end up thinking you found somebody who's very similar to you without realizing that this person is adopting everybody's habits and preferences. So one way to do this, to kind of figure this out, is to create a checklist and identify the primary characteristics that you see when they're with you, and then observe them around other people and make sure that you get to see them around other people. If they're not letting you have a chance to see them with their friends or see them at work or see them function around their family, that's big red flag in my opinion. But observe what they're like when they're with their children or what they're like when they're around their friends. Do you see a profound shift? For example, maybe there's a an adoption of habits that they don't actually have, like Tara's example of suddenly her partner says he does yoga and he really actually doesn't do yoga. Or maybe he claims or she claims that they really like certain kinds of drinks, but suddenly not drinking those drinks around other people claiming that they don't like it. But pay attention to the consistency. You should see the theme of a person. If they're an introvert, you should see that they're pretty introverted with most people. If they're somebody who's very big time into sports, you should see that behavior kind of thread through all their relationships. And if you're not seeing it, if you're seeing a, a very different caricature, depending on their circumstances, I would see that as something to be very concerned about. I agree. I was thinking about what you said with your ex, the not liking animals and then mm-hmm. being with someone who has five dogs. And maybe that person then like loves animals and thinks they're the best. You know, I exactly. think of, of that kind of difference. I saw it with my partner, particularly in adopting just random hobbies or interests or saying they loved that or they'd read that when kind of know that they don't. You see that kind of inconsistency? That's a problem. That's a big problem. But it's hard to spot unless you sit down and actually look at the characteristics and look them at them over time. Then you're going to be able to better identify this this too it's too fluid. It's this chameleon-like behavior. Have you been the bystander to seeing your ex in a new and supposedly happy relationship with their new supply? And did you find our talk on that today helpful? And what do you think about keeping track of your partner's primary characteristics and checking to see if they're too fluid? You can let us know by emailing us at hello at breakingfreewithcarrytara.com. If you haven't yet, make sure to follow or subscribe, write us a review. And if you know someone who would benefit from this episode, please make sure to share it with them. If you're not following us on social media yet, you can follow me at Tara.RelationshipCoach and Carrie at Carrie McAvoy PhD. We'll see you back here next Monday, where we'll be talking about why your ex may not seem to miss you the way you miss them.